0: Turn to Psalm 119, Psalm 119, and we're going to read verses 49 through 72. So Psalm 119. And the psalmist says, Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has, befo- has fallen to me that I may, or that I have kept your precepts. Verse 60 or 50, 57, the Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O oh Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. You have dealt with you have dealt well with your servant, O oh Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, afflicted I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I will keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Well, Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your goodness. And as we sang about your grace tonight, Father, I thank you for that as well. That, Lord, that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer, to live a perfect life and then suffer and die, that we might have life. And we thank you for that. And we thank you also that even in your afflictions, You work out well the things that you desire in us, and you help us to know you through them, and so we thank you for them as well. Father, I pray tonight as we look to the topic that we're going to talk about on biblical counseling that you would lead and guide us in our thoughts and in our heart to know you and to hold what is said as true to your word Uh, to hold it up to your word, that is, that we may know uh, what is true. And I pray that you would lead and guide me as well as I talk, and I thank you for your grace in this time, in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well again, welcome, and tonight we're uh, on session four of Biblical Counseling uh, 101, and What did we, uh, we're going to review last time. Do you guys remember what we talked about last time? I know it's up on the board, but the, what, maybe I should say what was memorable about last time. What, what was your takeaway from it, if anybody wants to. Okay. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting as well. Anything else? Because that's what our society is really truly based on, is uh, building up your self-esteem so that you can reach your full potential. And we found that in reality, the opposite is true, that the Bible teaches us that ultimately, if someone has not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit... There, there's not anything really that good in, in them. Uh, not that they're 100% as bad as they could be, but as we talked about the depravity of man, like Pastor Steve was talking about this morning as well, that when we look at depravity, it's not that everybody is as bad as they could be, but depravity affects every part of us. Our mind, the way we think, uh how we relate to others, because we're so self-focused. We're focused on uh, exalting self versus exalting God. Any other takeaways from last time? Well, and we did talk about total depravity. We talked about justification and sanctification. We talked about self-esteem, and then we talked about our true need, which is repentance. And we talked about so before we come to Christ, we're unregenerate and we can't do right because uh, and we read I believe it was Romans 8 in my notes that uh, where it talks about the, the man that is living in the flesh or the person that's living in the flesh can't even please God. And uh, so we talked about that, and so our true need is for repentance from that, but also as we, there's always that remaining sin, that sin nature that follows us into salvation, that we need to, uh, as Galatian talks about, Galatians chapter 5, we need to put it to death. We need to crucify it uh, by the grace of God and by the work of the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to the next thing we're going to talk about. So, uh, you know, I said we were going to talk about some theological things and uh, hopefully we don't get put to sleep by it because it's, it is exciting once you think about it. You know, uh, sometimes theology kind of puts you to sleep if you read somebody that's really, you know, writes long on a subject and you have to, you know, read a sentence and then you got to reread it ten times because, you know, what are they really saying here? So we'll try to keep it simple. Uh, But it's important because it's not only important for biblical counseling, it's important for our life to understand the truths and the doctrines of God. And so the Holy Spirit, and as we look at the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, one of the things he does, and if somebody would read uh, John, and there's two other verses up there, somebody else. So I need somebody to read John three five through six, and then somebody turn to 1 Corinthians two fourteen, and then somebody Romans eight seven. So who's got those? John chapter three five through six. Okay, Jim. Jim. Okay. So Jesus, one of the first things he's teaching, and to Nicodemus of all people, the teacher of Israel, uh, as Jesus refers to him. In other words, somebody that should know this stuff. He says, unless you're born of the Spirit, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. And that's the regenerating work that the Spirit does in us. God calls us, Jesus saves us, and the Holy Spirit does that work of regeneration in us. Well, why would that be important in biblical counseling, to be regenerated? And the answers are up there. So who's got uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14? Okay, Tracy. Okay, so the natural man, meaning un unregenerated man, somebody that hasn't been born again doesn't you know they're it's like spiritually discerned it's like uh what do they call that in files kurt when you, it's encrypted in in a sense you know uh you they can't figure it out it's it's foolishness to them. how about romans eight seven who has romans eight seven okay Okay. So the one, and that was the verse I was thinking about before when we were talking about depravity, but so the mind that is not set on God, that's set on the flesh, again, unregenerate man, doesn't even acknowledge the things of God and can't. So why would that be a problem in biblical counseling? As we look at those two verses, why would that be a problem? right yeah that's exactly right because they have no desire I you know I love the psalm that talks about where David says I love your law you know that's something that comes from the Holy Spirit to love the Bible because we we don't really get there until we're born again where we just have that desire to want to know more about it to follow it to be obedient to God But if we're not regenerated, that's not going to happen. J. Adams, now, J. Adams, some of you guys know, some of you may not know, but J. Adams was what we'll call the father of biblical counseling, all right, the biblical counseling movement. In other words, biblical counseling has always existed because pastors have always used the Bible to counsel people. But as we talked about in one of our sessions, around 18 middle 1800s uh Sigmund Freud and another guy came along and all of a sudden from that came psychology and it just has morphed into something that we think that oh no this biblical counseling is a new thing and it's not but it's been re- you know it's come back to life I guess what you'd say we're you know, as Christians were starting to realize, hey, psychology is really has a lot of secular-based ideas in it, and really they don't believe in the truths or the doctrines of the Word of God. And what are we really doing here? And and incidentally, Jay Adams was uh, he was a pastor, uh, but he was also he was um, uh, tasked to teach psychology, and as he started getting into it he was like this is not right <laughs> and so uh he was one of the ones that uh, like we'll call him the father of biblical counseling or one of the fathers because he's the one that started us back on the right track to look at how do we really counsel people and he said this uh, counseling should follow and reflect god's order and redemption grace then faith Gospel, then sanctification. Counseling must be redemptive. The way Paul proceeded in the book of Romans, for instance, affords clear direction. He showed all, Gentile and Jew, that they have sinned. Next, he refuted false ideas of redemption through attempted law-keeping and established the truth of justification by faith alone. Finally, he exhorted to personal holiness. What Paul did is what counselors must do. And that's true. Uh, And sorry to see Ann isn't here tonight because uh, I had something, you know, she brought up a great question last time because we've been talking about how, as believers, we're able to counsel one another. Um, But, you know, as you look at the issues, there are some things, well, first we're going to finish on the Holy Spirit, but... I wanted to talk more about that because as we look at counseling and as we look at uh, sharing the gospel with people, we should all follow that same order, all right? So I'm not saying you guys have to be certified biblical counselors to do this, but if you have somebody in your family that's not saved, that's how you should approach it. So many times... Uh, We look at like maybe our relatives and and uh, you know they're living in drunkenness, they're making bad decisions and whatnot. And what's our first thing? We want them to stop that, right? So maybe we tell them things like, "Well, you shouldn't be doing that." But what what is that really called when you try to get somebody that's not saved to do something that God is? Would call righteous. What would that be called? There's a word for it. That's exactly what it is. It's moralism. And we're not about teaching people to be morally right. I mean, yes, that's the ultimate goal, but what Jay Adams is saying here is what, exactly what Paul is saying. You first have to come to the realization that I'm a sinner whether i've been gone to church all my life if i haven't been regenerated if i haven't been born again by the holy spirit then that's the first step i need to ex you know confess that i'm a sinner and that jesus christ is my only hope of salvation uh what he did the work on the cross god says in roman or it says in romans chapter 3 that God set forth his Son as a propitiation. And I believe that's chapter 3, verse 26. If it's not 26, it's 25. But uh, it's right there. God sent Jesus Christ to be the payment for our sin. Until we accept that and believe it as the only way that we're going to be right before God, then all the other stuff does not matter. All right? But once that does happen, uh, something happens next, and that's the thing that we get the Holy Spirit. So somebody, I need one person to read Acts chapter two verse 38, and then somebody to read Romans five verse five. So Acts 2:38. OK, Seth. Okay. And why don't you read verse 39? Because that also. is
1: for you and for your children and for all who are far off, who the Lord our God calls
0: Okay. So he says that everyone that repents and confesses Christ, believes in Him, receives the Holy Spirit, and the promise is to all. As many as the Lord our God will call. That includes us. You know, here in, well, I got saved in 1984. Uh, I know that was probably before some of you guys were even born. And that's fine. But God is still working today the same way. He, he sends his spirit. You, you're illuminated. You, you come to faith in Christ, and you believe in your heart about Jesus, and that God raised him from the dead, and the Holy Spirit indwells you. All right, let's read Romans 5.5. 5. Yeah, go ahead, Jody. Okay, so... The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Now what that really means, so God's love has been poured out, if you're a believer, into your heart. Um, Well, because of that, the believer in Christ is enabled to love. In other words, how can I love somebody that treats me wrongly? How can I love... I mean... You know, when you look at love, how do I love God's law? Uh, How do I love to want to do what is right? And that's, I mean, that was so evident to me when I did first get saved because, you know, before you try to do these things that you know God wants you to do, you know, or quit the things that, you know, God wants you to quit, like, I was a smoker before I got saved. And I, that was something that I knew even before I got saved, that God, you know, smoking is not a great deal for your body. I'll just have to say that. It, it destroys you. Uh, but I knew that. But, you know, it's like so many things you try quitting, whether it's swearing, whether it's, you know, you name it. Um, and, yes, I got saved out of a very dark world. I spent uh, my 17th and eight, I spent my 18th birthday in a, a rehabilitation center uh, because I was, uh, I mean, I had a real drug problem and uh, I had a drinking problem as well. And I did a lot of things wrong, but when God saved me when I was 24, not only did I still have the, the thought that, you know, this stuff is wrong, I need to quit it? All of a sudden, I had the ability to really want to and desire to quit it all. And that was, a. I mean, that was different because that wasn't me. That was the Holy Spirit that was indwelling me. And that's what we get when we believe in Christ. A lot of times we, you know, we think of it... Um, from a uh, academic sense, maybe. But when you really think about it, if you're struggling with something like, Lord, I know you want me to forgive this person, or as an example, but I don't have the wherewithal in myself. Well, of course you don't have the wherewithal in yourself. It's God. You need to ask him to give that to you. And if you're truly a believer... God has given you that already. And we see that, and we could read it. We're not going to read it right now, but you can write this one down. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4 talks about God has given us everything that we need to live godly in this life. And so sometimes it's just a matter of understanding what is true to walk into it. God has already given us the ability because he's indwelt us. With the Holy Spirit. Uh, I don't know if we're going to read this whole thing, but let's read a little bit of it. Let's read, um, uh, if somebody would want to tackle that, 1 through 17 of Romans 8. Maybe we will read the whole thing, but who would like to read that? Okay, Lucas.
1: brothers we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh for if you live according to the flesh you will die but if you by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live for all who are led by the spirit of god are sons of god for if you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you would receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry abba father the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Okay.
0: Thanks for reading that. That's a lot. But I don't know if you notice a couple of things in there. One, he says, if you don't have the Spirit of uh, Christ, the Holy Spirit that is, then you're none of his. But he did say, though, that if you are in Christ, you do have the Holy Spirit. So it's not a matter of, well, I think I'm a Christian, but I don't have the Holy No. If you're truly a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. And so many times what we don't realize, uh, we've been looking at some of the things, uh, even this morning we looked at some things. in uh, We were in Hebrews, but... The fact that you have the Holy Spirit, God has given you the ability to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And we talked about that. Yeah, we've been born again, but we do have that remaining sin in us. But the, it's clear that god it's something we cooperate with God in, is our sanctification. And we looked at Philippians 2, uh, 12 and 13. Uh, And if maybe we'll read that again, and maybe I'll read it. I'll just uh, go right there. I'm going to see if I could quote it from memory, um, but I don't want to botch it. So, therefore, my beloved brethren, or therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And when it talks about salvation there, it's not talking about the justification part of your sanctifi- uh, about your salvation. But salvation a lot of times is referred to in the stages of justification, sanctification, and glorification. All right? If you have studied theology... You might have run across that. I know of it seems kind of a little different, but it's all there. I mean, because Christ, when Christ died, he, it, the Bible says in Hebrews, and I believe it's chapter 9, that he's perfected for all, in one act, he's perfected all that are going to be saved in that one act. And so the hard part for us is we still have that remaining sin in our lives. But here, in, so when it talks about working out your own salvation, it's really talking about working out the sanctification part of that salvation. And then he says that it's God that works in you, what? Both to will, that is to have the desire to do it, but also to do it. So he not only gives us the desire to do good, but he gives us the ability to do it. And that comes from God. So the Holy Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit's work in us, is to regenerate us, to indwell us, and to sanctify us. And there's a lot more things we could talk about, about what the Holy Spirit does, because he works in the life of the believer to intercede for us, to comfort us, to teach us, and there's, I mean, a lot more that he does. So we need, you know, if so if you're thinking of, biblical counseling people, uh, or whether you're not, keep that in your mind that we need to point people to God's word and pray for them. So if somebody comes to you with a problem, it's not, what does Dave think? It's, what does the word of God say? And are we pointing them to God's word and praying for them? But the second part of it is, And I'll have to say, if you have had kids, some of you guys have had kids, some of you don't. uh, It's the same with believers when you're counseling with them. You just want to take them and, I don't want to say hit them up with a two-by-four, but it's like, turn their head or what, you know, it's like, all right, you need to get this, you know. Um, This is the work of the Holy Spirit, all right. Yes, I would love if you would do this. The church would be pleased with you. With your kids, it's like, yes, I want you to do this, and I would love if you just had that heart to do it. Um, But in reality, well, maybe with kids it's a little different, I don't know. But with believers, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's so important to point them to God's Word and to pray for them. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that will change a person. Okay, now this says review. I know, and well, I have to share this with Ann. But for the rest of you that were, ch- you know, listening in on our conversation with, with Ann, uh, and it's a, she brought up a really good question. So you know, biblical counseling, and this is something we've we've talked about in the first couple of sessions. Biblical counseling is ministering the word of God to believers with humility, compassion, and accountability to bring abiding hope, change, and usefulness for the glory of God. That's Dr. Stuart Stuart Scott's um, definition. Uh, And we, we tie that into Romans 15, 14, which says, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. And that word for admonish is that word that we get nutheto, nuthetic counseling out of. And, well, does that mean I'm going to counsel everybody about every problem? And, I mean, it was a really good question that she had. And so what I came across is this, and hopefully you can see it. Can I just rephrase her question was? Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I basically, basically asked, how, how can you trust bunch
1: of people going around counseling each other? Um, uh, you know, if you're, telling, if you're encouraging believers to counsel one another, how can you trust them not to be giving bad counsel? Right, okay. yep.
0: And that and thanks for doing that, by the way, Lucas. Um, because we did talk about the fact that anybody anytime somebody comes to you for advice because they're thinking you might have an answer... If you give them an answer, whether it's biblical or not, you're counseling them. Period. I mean, that's just the reality of it. But here, and like I say, I don't know if you guys can see that very well. I don't know how to zoom in on this. I don't know if I want to try. Oops, see? I, I don't, like I said, I don't want it, so I'll read it to you. All right? So on this side, let's see, how can I point to it? No, nope, that's not going to work. I can do it with this. All right, so here, so at the lowest level, you have all believers. And what Romans 15, 14 is talking about, we're counseling one another. We're able to instruct one another, all right? And what it says here, it's less formal, and it looks a lot more like discipleship. And on the other side, it's less intense. It's more general in nature, less Problem oriented. So something like this might be uh, something like, uh, Dave, what do you think about watching this type of movie? What do you think about, you know what I mean? It's like simple things that we can instruct our brothers and sisters on. So less informal, less intense. And it's something like all believers can handle, you know? Um, But then you go up a notch and you're you have maybe something that's more formal and more intensive and it's something that maybe you know a qualified and trained believer in counseling should deal with um and then eventually you get and you can see as you go up it's more it looks more like counseling not that there's really a difference per se but it does look more like counseling because you know, when you get up to this point where you're dealing with somebody with uh, some real intensive problems, you know, I mean, let's say maybe they have a drinking problem. That's something that it requires a lot more. Um, and so you're maybe doing things like you got accountability. You're you're bringing in other people from the church to hold them accountable. You're giving them homework from scripture. Uh, homework that you know might help them and stuff, and so and it, again, it's not that you couldn't get a, give them homework when they're down here, but it's it's like uh, uh, it's like bitterness. Well, Dave, I'm bitter towards my wife, or I'm bitter towards my husband. Well, let's look at Hebrews. Uh, I think it's Hebrews nine or or no no, it was actually in our uh, text a little this morning, Hebrews twelve where it talks about bitterness defiles a person. I mean, there's, you know, you can take them to, like, one verse and then say, don't do it, you know? Change, come on, I'll pray for you, but, you know, get over, you know. All right, so some of you guys could do that, you know? But, yeah, when you get to the more uh, complicated problems... I mean, what I'm saying is, you're not going to give them homework on it, maybe. You might, but and you could, but maybe you're not going to. All right. But notice here it says the whole church. And now I should clarify, too, this came out of Stuart Scott's notes. So Stuart Scott was my professor at um, Master Seminary. And so these are, I've taken a lot of this stuff out of his notes. Now I've asked them guys if I can use it. And they encourage me to use it, so but I just want to give credit to where credit is due, but the idea is, and we're going to talk about this in a little more, is that biblical counseling isn't something that I do, it's something that the church does all right so as yeah as we're we're talking amongst each other, yeah, we want to counsel one another to do the right things, all right as people run into more intense problems, we're going to send them to the elders or. Send them to somebody that's more trained in biblical counseling. But eventually, it's the whole church that gets involved because you want the church involved. You want, you know, if somebody's really struggling with something or suffering from something, you want the church to come alongside them. All right. Well, so now we're going to get into a little bit more of Stuart Scott's notes. And so, what we're going to talk about is what is biblical counseling and what is not biblical counseling? And so uh, so as we look at what it is, first, it's strengthening faith and one's relationship with God so as to live for his glory in his sufficiency with abiding hope, trust, peace, joy, and usefulness in his kingdom, even amongst trials and difficulty. So we're... so. Uh, Biblical counseling is about strengthening another believer's faith in Christ. Okay, Um, So their relationship with God is glorifying to God, uh, that they're trusting in his sufficiency, that they're living with trust and joy amongst trials is a way to look at it. And the second thing is that it's employing all the god given graces and elements of change, which includes the Word of God, so biblical counseling is about using god's word. it's about employing the spirit of God, which not that we employ it, but we we call out to God, and you know our hope is, like we talked about that his spirit will intercede, but it is about prayer and Uh, getting the local church involved. And I like the way that we're doing it at our church because we're trying to draw other people into it so that, yeah, and I mean, not every one of you guys are going to be biblical counselors, but at least you should know, like, if somebody comes to you with a problem, how do I handle this biblically? And how do I think about, how do I think biblically about my own problems? Um. So biblical counseling is compassionate. This is out of J. Adams' book, Compassionate Counseling. I'll just read you a couple quotes because he's talking about compassion, sympathy, and empathy. He says, while sympathy still carries the idea of experiencing the same thing that somebody is going through, compassion goes one step further as it often expresses not only the desire to help, but also the act of helping one who is afflicted. So when we look at biblical counseling, we're not scolding people. Uh, what, you did that? Are you kidding me? You know, No, nothing like that, okay? We realize that, you know, like Galatians 6 talks about, uh, be careful because you yourself might fall into the same temptation, all right? So, but what we are about is compassionate counseling, which is seeing somebody that has a need and how do we help them with that? Uh, And it might be suffering. You know, it's not always sin. Sometimes it might be suffering. Another quote, uh, and and this is, so when we're counseling with somebody and then you're going to ask me, if you haven't already thought in your mind, well, if, if biblical counseling is only for believers then what do you do with unbelievers if you're going to counsel them, right? And what we're going to do is we're going to share the gospel with them, all right? And so what he's talking about here is just that exact point, is like if somebody comes to you for help, I, you know, I'm sure, I mean, that's the way secular counseling is. How do I just help you with your problem, all right? But how are, what, if you help somebody... And they just walk away and go keep on sinning. It's not going to help them much in the long run. And that's what he says of what profit is it to help people with their temporal problems and dismiss them to continue on their way to eternal punishment without representing or without presenting the gospel to them? And so part of compassionate counseling is. Are you saved? Are you right with God? You know, eternally, what's going to happen to you? All right? This next item, so uh, God, uh, biblical counseling is caring and compassionate, but it's also believes in the sufficiency of Scripture. Now, we're going to probably spend a good deal of time on this because that's a, another theological item. But what I want to do is just briefly talk about it, uh, that God's word is sufficient to deal with matters of the heart and soul, eternal life, salvation, and godliness, living a Christ-honoring life in this world. And if somebody would read Psalm 19, 7 through 10, so somebody could read that. And then somebody read Second Timothy 3, 15 to 17. So who, who's got those? Psalm 19, 7 through 10. Okay? And so from there we see that, in the Old Testament, the psalmist is saying that, and, and he uses those different, you know, the rules, the precepts, but he's talking all about God's word there. And it's just a way, I guess, poetically of saying the same thing five times. Um, but it, it is about the fact that God's word is able to convert someone. It's perfect, all right? So, 2 Timothy 3 15 to 17. Who's, who wants to read that? Go ahead. Nope. Um, yep.
1: And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof. For correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped
0: for every good work. Okay, thanks for reading that. There's a lot there. That's why we're going to unpack it in a in a broader context. But just simply, I'll say this: that um, the apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, who was a pastor, and uh, he was, I guess, under Paul in a sense, um, and he's instructing them that. Hey, you've known the scriptures since you've been a little a little boy. I think it says, um, and they're wise. They're they're able to make somebody wise unto salvation. But not only that, they're God breathed, meaning these are the words of God. I know the world teaches us that well, oh, it's just a book written by men. But the reality is, this Bible that we have has been. It's God's words. Yes, he used men. I don't understand it, but he did. He used men to pen his word just exactly how we want it written. And it's able to do, it talks about four things there. But the essence of it is that it's able to make us adequate for every problem, everything we'll ever come across in life. That's quite a statement to make, all right? To say that, well, Dave, what about cutting yourself? I mean, the Bible doesn't talk about cutting yourself. True, the Bible doesn't have that terminology in it. But when you think about why does somebody cut themselves, it's because I think there's a number of reasons. Maybe they've given up hope. Maybe, they've, uh, maybe they have a lot of anger. Maybe they've been abused in a way. And the Bible talks about all those things. All right, And that's part of the problem with what psychology has given us. It's given us a lot of titles. You know, borderline personality disorder. Um, PTSD. I'm not saying they're not real problems. I do believe that they're real problems. But what we have to look at, like with, with trauma, for example, PTSD, um, that's trauma. Trauma's a real thing, all right? But what, how does the does? first of all, the Bible, none of the English translations use the word trauma, by the way. So does that mean the Bible doesn't speak about trauma? Does it? I'll, I'll ask you guys. What do you think? What? Right, does it, does it yeah, does it speak about trauma? Right. So let's take a couple of examples about trauma. Jesus Mary's mother. Jesus. Mary, Jesus' mother, I'm getting my merds wixed here, you know? That happens sometimes with public speaking, you know? So, all right, let's get our theology straight here. All right, she, Jesus was born to Mary, so Mary was obviously Jesus' mother. All right. But on the day that he died, what did she see? Because she's watching she watched her son being stripped naked flogged and crucified on a cross we we haven't even seen brutality like that i mean we've seen some pretty brutal things don't get me wrong but was that a traumatic event do you think i think it was very traumatic i think that's hard for a mother to watch their child being murdered how about job lost all his kids, all his wealth, and his own health, all in a matter of like this short space of time. I mean, okay, so the Bible doesn't use the word trauma, but the Bible is full of people that have gone through traumatic events, and it talks about them. And so when the Bible talks about being... Able to deal with your problems, regardless of what they are, it's a matter of just understanding what your problem really is from a biblical point of view, and then you see the scripture is filled with things. Um, I used this one up uh, upstairs a while back, but you know, uh, I mean, when you think about it, right in the beginning of Genesis, chapter four, uh. God comes to Cain, Cain, what's your problem? You know, well, what was Cain's problem? His brother's offering was accepted before God, and his wasn't, and he was upset. And what did God say to him? Cain, you have to control that sin, or it's going to master you. And it did. He killed his brother. That speaks so much to the problems that we have in this life, and the Bible's full of those kind of examples. All right, uh, where did I had something else there? So God's word is the only authoritative and infallible truth. God's truth is deep, sufficient, and applicable for any problem, directly or indirectly. And John seventeen seventeen says Jesus in his prayer. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them by their, th- thy truth. Thy word is truth. Um, so uh, biblical counseling is, it deals with the gospel of Jesus Christ as well as one's relationship with Jesus. And uh, finally, I think this was the last one, yep. Uh, biblical counseling deals with encouragement for suffering and trials that Christians face and giving needed biblical direction for problems and issues uh, like sin of others or a wayward child. However, often we find ourselves sinning in response, whether inwardly or outwardly, to a trial that we did not initially cause, infusing sin into the situation. So, in essence, biblical counseling not only helps you to, how do you deal with your problem that your kid's gone wayward, but now because of your own sin, because of it, you're not dealing with the trial in a, in a biblical way, how do we look at that so we can deal biblically with our own issues? And so that's a, a, you know, I guess a real short view of what biblical counseling is. When we look at it, what it, what biblical counseling is not, it's not simplistic, meaning we're not dispensing God's word. Well, Read these two verses and call me in the morning. You know, it's nothing like that. Uh, what we're doing is we're praying, Lord. How can this? How can your word help this individual? And so uh, we're, as the counselors, we're trying to, you know, we're looking to God for direction on how God's word can enlighten somebody in their problem. It's not behavior modification. Uh, meaning that we 're not just looking to change behaviors, which is what psychology does by the way it 's just interested in changing your behavior. What biblical counseling is about is what 's going on in your heart in other words, why why do you have some why can 't you forgive that person? you know what are you holding in your heart? you know what what are you desiring more than you desire Christ that 's causing you to sin? Um, and it's not ignoring or discounting medical or scientific data. In other words, not concerning, not considering the whole person. So when we look at medical, I, I got a whole slide for this. So it does not ex- ignore true and proven medical issues and does not seek to remedy them with Scripture. Um, so when you look at somebody that maybe they have... Uh, Maybe they have, like, for example, schizophrenia. That's a real tough one. Schizophrenia, and what we'll find with many uh, uh, people that struggle, there is a physical component and there's a spiritual component. And that's what we need to look at. All right, so somebody with schizophrenia might actually have some damage to their brain, some circuitry that's not wired correctly. So it would be wrong, like especially if they're on medication. For me to tell them, look, we need to just—you need to have faith in God and and get off that, you know, medication and and eh. you know that's the wrong way to look at it, guys. Um, we have to—we can't ignore medical facts, right? If something is medically proven to be true, then you you can't ignore it as a biblical counselor. But you also don't want to seek to fix something medically, or I mean fix something with scripture that's a medical issue. all right. It would be literally like somebody comes to you with a broken leg and you saying, brother, sister, you need to have faith and get up on that leg and walk. Would you do that ever? No, you wouldn't. I'm, I'm guessing you wouldn't. You're looking at me like you wouldn't. Um, But that's the point, is that we have to, like if something has been proven medically true, we have to acknowledge that and not ignore it, and we're not going to give spiritual remedies. Now, so, but you do have things like, and I have an example here, what about somebody with cancer, all right? You got somebody that comes to you, Can you do anything for cancer? No. It's a medical issue, all right? But what you can do is maybe they're struggling, or maybe somebody in their family is struggling, looking at loss of life. That's something that is biblically that you can do as a counselor to help them with. You know, the feelings that go with it. Maybe they're depressed. Well, who wouldn't be if that was the case? I mean, you know, other than if you really have your focus on Christ, it's like... I'm going home, you know? Uh, And that's really what you would probably want to counsel like. So maybe not in that way. But the point is, you know, there are two aspects. There's sometimes a a biblical aspect or a spiritual aspect and a physical. Um, But, yeah, so looking at the inner man. So, I mean, when we look at, and this is just such a key part of biblical counseling is discerning when something is a physical struggle versus a spiritual struggle. So I have some of them listed, like autism and Alzheimer's are physical struggles, all right? Brain trauma is a physical thing, all right? If somebody's had a shot to the head or something, yeah, the brain circuitry might be a little messed up. And it's not because they're sinning, all right? Feelings of depression or panic. All right. Now, depression and panic might not be a physical issue, but the feelings, like if you're having a panic attack, that is a physical issue. All right. Now, the the thing that produced the panic attack, if it's not, if it, if there's no clear physical issue, and there are some physical issues that do cause panic attacks, by the way. But if there's no true physical issue, then it is a spiritual issue. It's a matter of dealing with how how are you dealing with fear and anxiety in your life? Um, Hormones—that's a—that's the a one that I think every couple deals with. Um, but it's something that is a physical thing. Uh, then you got hyper or hypothyroid problems, and these are just some of them. Now. I, I had a look because I know we don't call things mentally retarded anymore. All right, that was back when I was a kid. Um, but I had a look up, and it's, so it's called intellectual disability. All right, and that's that's fair. I mean, we want to be uh, kind in our words as well, and so. Uh, but that's what how uh, that's the politically correct term for somebody that struggles in the mind, where there's a medical issue. And then attention and concentration problems. There's more to this list. I was just coming up with some of the main ones. Uh, but on the spiritual side, anger and rage, anxiety and fear, drunkenness, and you know we could talk a lot about all of these, but false worship, idolatry, foul language, guilt and shame, and sexual immorality are all, I mean, yeah, maybe with anxiety or, and I, I'm not going to say fear, but with anxiety sometimes there is a medical, but by and large, again, if there's not a proven medical issue, then it's, it's got to be spiritual. Uh, but yeah, I mean, drunkenness is a big one because, uh, I mean, is it a disease? The world tells us it's a disease. I went through six months in a halfway house uh, recovering from alcohol. I was told it was a disease. It wasn't until I got saved that I realized, you know what, I mean, let's face it, if it was truly a disease, then how do people just quit it? You know, I mean, it's, you don't just quit cancer. You don't just quit Lou Gehrig's disease. You don't, I mean, you don't do those things. But somebody can, on a dime, stop drinking. And the reason is, is because it's not a disease. It's a spiritual problem. And the other reason why we know it's a spiritual problem, because the Bible tells us it is. In Galatians chapter 5, it's a work of the flesh. Drunkenness is. All right. Well, I think we're running out of time. Uh, but this next slide, what is it not? It's its not a pristine outlook on science. Again, we, we want to look at what's true. A lot of times, um, what is, you know, you have people in the psychologic realm, which a lot of them are secular, and as we read Romans chapter 1, we find out that a lot of times people that are antagonistic towards God have a tendency to suppress truth, all right? And so, yes, factual data is good. How it's interpreted is a whole different story, all right? Look at the Grand Canyon as an example. Does the Grand Canyon exist? Yeah, it exists. There's layers in it. There's probably fossils in it. But how did it happen? How did it get like that? And to somebody that's a creationist, we'll have a different account of how that transpired versus somebody that's an evolutionist. And, I mean, I'm not going to go all that down that road, but what I am saying is, a lot of times when you have somebody that's unwilling to accept the fact that God exists and that there's spiritual... Realm to things, and that the Bible is true, and there's an account of history in it, like the flood. uh, If somebody is unwilling to look at that, then how do they come up with why things are the way they are? You know, and you have it with the way it is archaeologically, you have it with the way it is who man is, anthropologically, if that's a word. Anyhow, so we're not integrationists, meaning. We don't combine the two methods together. And uh, it's not autonomous, meaning biblical counseling is, in essence, a part, should be a part of the church and under the leadership of the church. And so we're not out there on a, a limb and making up our own rules, all right? So I might have gone a little long and. So I'll ask for questions, but I think we should probably go to prayer here too soon. So, but that's all I had for tonight. But any, any questions? And we can always talk afterwards, but any pressing questions? I threw a lot at you guys. All right, well, oh, go ahead, Lucas. It's not a
1: question, it's- talk about, and it's true that in order to want to change, you have to want to change, right? In your mm-hmm. motivation. But The irony is that with biblical counseling, we know that as you we were saying in the beginning, if someone is not of the spirit, they're hostile to God, right? And so, how can you counsel them um, when your goal to have them change is never going to be um, in effect without the spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just um, the, you know, you, we were talking about how you can't counsel someone if they're not saved, and let, you just share the gospel. You know? Right.
0: So yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and that, but you know, the psych, psychological world will get them to change, but it's there's no eternal value to it. So, well, I'm going to close in prayer, and then uh, we can break up for in our prayer groups and. Uh, Father, we just thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for your word that it is not only sufficient but it's all powerful and uh, Lord, we just thank you for it and Father, I just uh, pray for your grace as we go tonight uh, that we would take the truths out of this, and Lord, that they would settle on our hearts the things that weren't uh, that were questionable or not part of your word that It would just fall away as dross. And um, Lord, that you would go with us uh, for your honor and glory. In Jesus Christ's name,
1: amen.